do it. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. And you too. Me too. You too, Todd. Hashtag me too. Oh. No. Sorry. Ooh, uh, I think that's taken. Yeah, that is taken. Hey, Todd. Um, do you know what you call a dinosaur who never gives up? Uh, um. Uh, uh, no, I don't. A try, try, try ceratops. Oh, boo. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there you are. <laughs> so this whole time, Mark and I have been talking over Zoom and his screen has been black and he keeps making, like, not excuses for it, but very quickly diverting my attention like, like a dog that is trying to eat something that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be eating. And it was all for the reveal that I almost missed because I was in my show notes of you wearing a... A dinosaur snuggie it's a, onesie. Yeah, it's a dinosaur onesie, and it's my new lounge wear, and I love it. It's got a tail and everything. <laughs> nice. That is pretty fantastic. Well, it looks like you're doing well, then. I am doing great. <laughs> I try, oh, try, man. try Ceratops. Ugh, I was trying to think of something with a... Because there's that... Uh, what do you call a dinosaur who's good at hide-and-seek? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think he saw us. Oh, right. Or there's something right, right, like right, that. Right. I forget. So I was going the Saurus route, not the <laughs> Ceratops route. Uh, oh. Awesome. Um, so what have you. The end. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mark and Todd Cash Show. Listen to Fun Employment and Radio. And... <laughs> um, we have been watching uh, Shit's Creek, and uh, which recently ended uh, its sixth season play. And. We're right in the middle. I think we just finished season three and now going on to four. And it's pretty great. I really... I've heard I've heard really, really good things about that. I've avoided watching it for some reason. Every once in a while, like when people... And especially if it's something that's really meant for me, I'll still not watch it because there's a big hubbub about it. But the problem I always find, and, and it happened in Christopher Guest's later movies too, the... Um, not so much a mighty wind, but there was the the one about Hollywood. Oh, I forget which one that right. was called. Um, but for it your just, consideration. It, they, yeah, for your consideration, that they have a very very bleak tone to it, <laughs> even though it's super fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that always kind of it's like a, a comedy version of Breaking Bad, and I'm like, you know what? I don't need this. So, um, I would encourage you that that's not the tone of Shit's Creek at all. Uh, okay. And so the the premise is bleak in that they were a super rich family, lost all their money. And uh, as a joke, back in the 80s, the dad bought the son a town in the middle of nowhere called Shit's Creek. And uh, it was one of the properties, one of the, one of the only assets that was not seized by the IRS <laughs> in the big takedown of the family okay and so they own this town 
and it's uh, it's crazy. You know, it's it. The mayor is Chris Elliott, and uh, and and it's all of the awkward moments of this hyper rich family who's now living in poverty, living in the hotel that they uh, that they were granted some space by the by the mayor and the hotel owner and all right and so well, it becomes I, yeah, all about rela- it becomes all about relationship and there's so many awkward moments you know it's uh Catherine O'Hara and and Eugene Levy are brilliant together they're so good and Eugene Levy's children uh so his son Daniel Levy is basically the executive producer of the show and he did most of the writing of the show and oh, wow. uh he came out gay when he was 18 the the person behind the behind the actor uh and and he just does a really good job of awkward moments in because he's he's come from this <laughs> he's posh. Eugene Levy's child he's Eugene Levy's <laughs> child and uh, this character comes from great, great wealth and super high fashion, and and so he's always wearing the most ridiculous fashionable sweaters and things, and and now he's in this podunk town, trying to deal <laughs> with podunk town things, and all and it's right. all about relationship and so many awkward moments, but definitely not bleak or dire. Uh, it's, okay. it's much more inspirational than that, and uh, we that really a- love it. Is that on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Uh, everything okay. but the last season is currently available on Netflix. So I, oh, I don't know what. Okay, yeah, I've just been. I'm I'm up to I think episode eight of Community mm-hmm. that I've been forcing myself just only one episode a night because I have nothing else that I'm really watching as like a series or anything like that. So I'm trying to just make it stretch out as long as I can. I just can't believe how good that show mm-hmm. is. Like right out of the gate she too. Is. It's like that show and watching John Oliver, I almost have a hard time because as a person who likes to think I'm I'm funny and I could write well, right. it is just it's like if you're a high school basketball star and you're suddenly playing against Michael Jordan and like oh. you just realize the shame of how like what a complete you know loser you are and how good they are the, and... the lines fed to Catherine O'Hara on on this show on Schitt's Creek are genius on how she thinks herself so much better than everyone else and slips uh. in all these little subtle uh just slices towards people that nobody catches because they're so posh and uh and it is really fantastic writing and and just great writing is uh all right okay I, th- I think you i think you sold Sweet. me well speaking of uh Catherine O'Hara and and Eugene Levy and and Waiting for Guthman and all that Fred Willard yeah. who appeared in many of many of those and and lots of sitcom i mean he's had a career forever and he passed away this past week yeah. which is really sad but i mean he had a long life he, had, he was 90 or something like yeah, that so 86 or something um, yeah yeah, he was a lot older than I, I guess I would have figured. That's I, that's very old. <laughs> I kind of was thinking he was um, Eugene Levy's peer, and I think he's oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. That's what I guess older. I figured. Yeah, I think he's a generation older than. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. But he was on. I never watched it, but it was always on Nick at Night. It was called Fernwood Tonight, mm. and I think it was like a. Um, 
it was like a parody talk show that, and this was in the seventies when he did it. So it was even kind of like a parody of talk shows back in the seventies. And so he's been, he's been around forever. So RIP uh, Fred Willard, who I believe, when was it? Not even five, maybe 10 years ago, uh, was arrested Pee Wee Herman style. That's right. So, <laughs> so long, way to go, Fred. That's, oh, you know what? That is why. So, Nick and I were talking about Fred Willard last night. And that's why Nick said, Oh, I used to hang out with him at this place in Hollywood. Um, and <laughs> he was trying to make that joke of uh peewee style uh stuff but um i wasn't getting it so that that's that funny well, way sense. to go nick good job that's a true nick joke because <laughs> it never maybe that's why you were confused it went like it had a punchline and was funny <laughs> uh, uh well let's dive into some news uh i we're fighting a little bit of a delay again i think even though it's no longer mother's day but um i am not going to read a full article on this uh, because it's both tedious and depressing. But um, the, while everyone, while all of us citizens in America were complaining about the government spy controlled state of stay at home orders and masks and blah, blah, blah. Um, in reality, uh, Congress was passing another version of the Patriot Act that uh, now allows them, I believe, to search anybody's browser history and. Um, without really any cause, as long as it's quote, unquote, suspicious. Um, now they have to go through companies like Google and, and, and people who own that data. But I think as we've kind of seen that um, outside of Apple, uh, computer just telling the authorities to go pound sand that a lot of these others are willing to give up information. So um, it's not like they can have access to everybody's it is not like a portal or something that they can see everyone's stuff but they can definitely request and demand um uh browser history as part of and for some reason and i don't think he's answered yet um because i think it was a pretty close vote um overwhelmed there was a uh, 50 30 or 50 republicans and 10 democrats that voted for it um but bernie sanders for some reason was not a part of the vote mm. um and he also did not vote absentee but he he has not been commenting about um why he missed that vote mm. so um <clears throat> anyway so there's the very real world co- world consequences of what everybody is uh, afraid of uh, governmental power grabs in a time of crisis and we are still Feeling the effects of the incredibly intrusive Patriot Act, which is a a, bi- a bipartisan effort to keep that in uh, keep that on the on the laws for the last two decades, um, as well as several wars that are not wars. They are uh, what did they call them to get out of having to get approval? Uh, military military actions. actions. Wasn't so wasn't uh, Co- the Korean War a military? Oh, that was a police action. A police oh, a action. police action. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you declare things actions, then you do not need congressional approval for war. So we have been at with military actions uh, all uh, for the last almost twenty years now, um, and it has been shown over and over that all that was not just misinformation that we acted on, but um, actual. Uh, manipulated data and lying to get us into that. So um, congratulations on, once again, everyone in America focusing on the wrong thing. So, But there is exciting news in the United States, and that is 
the newest branch of the armed forces now has its flag, and that is the U.S. Space Force. So Defense Department officials presented Donald Trump with the Space Force flag during a short Oval Office event on Friday. Uh, The Space Force, which was officially established in December, is the first new military service since the U.S. Air Force in 1947. So there are already 16,000 airmen and civilians that make up the Space Force, uh, although they technically remain part of the Air Force, uh, which previously, previously saw... Um, offense, oversaw offensive operations in space, which is a crazy thing just to <laughs> b- read five paragraphs into an article <laughs> as if it's uh, blasé. Um, Trump has made it clear he sees the newest service as a critical to the future of American defense. Um, the president said Friday that the U.S. is building, quote, a super duper missile oh, that can travel 17 times faster than the missiles we have right now. So... <laughs> We have Space Force and Super Duper Missiles, Mark. You're in the military. That should be happy. You should be so happy. Just made me touch my face. Uh, (laughs) Uh, It just made you go to the store without a mask on. Uh, Makes me sad. uh, Well, speaking of, uh, yeah, speaking of COVID, I didn't have a lot of stories today, so I'm just going to kind of burn through these fast. Uh, One uh, COVID-related story, and that is the ever-growing conspiracy theory that it is related to what, Mark? Um, 5G towers? Yes, Yes, it is 5G towers. So what started as a bizarre and bogus conspiracy theory involving the novel coronavirus in Britain has apparently crossed to the United States. Uh, Quote, We assess conspiracy theories linking the spread of COVID-19 to the expansion of the 5G cellular network. This is from the Department of Homeland Security um, and attacks against the communication infrastructure globally and that these threats will probably increase as the disease continues to spread. Um, So we said a little bit more, but basically uh, people are blaming 5G cell towers as the cause for the coronavirus and they are burning and knocking over towers and um, let's see this says quote since December 2019 uh, there have been at least five arson incidents uh, including Memphis Tennessee uh, 14 cell towers cell towers in western Tennessee uh, and an arsonist, ses- an arsonist set fire to a major cell tower in Portland, Oregon, what? damaging electrical components at the base of the structure. Uh, so What? Here in Portland? I guess, which did, I didn't hear about until I read that article. Did so we, I guess maybe did it, was, we take the, it was probably just a homeless encampment that caught on fire and accidentally. Very likely. Um, was that you that? Yeah, you and Nick sent that video. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, um, why don't they just take the tower throw it in the water and see if it's a witch. Uh, if it drowns, then it was a witch. And if it floats, it's not a witch. Or something. Just, or the opposite, whatever. It just makes me ashamed and sad. Like, yeah, uh, we've been reading a book um, <clears throat> called, um, super famous book, uh, the, that I can't think of the name of right now, but it's about shame and um, the the effects of shame and uh, the. Is it a Malcolm Gladwell book? No, no, no. It's um, okay. uh, Brene Brown. Um, oh, okay. uh, living, uh, uh, daring greatly. Dar- daring greatly is is the name of the book. Okay, and it it just talks about 
um, shame and uh, vulnerability. And the antithesis of vulnerability is this strength by force uh, message that says, if I, um, if I don't understand it, if I just am angry about it enough, then I don't have to deal with it. And right. I, I just feel sad for a significant portion of our world and specifically of the United States that seems to be exercising this practice of, well, we don't have the details. And so let's just be angry about it and be brutish, like be violent and brutish about it. Uh, well, I mean, to, to, to be fair, that is literally how the United States has always acted about everything, and yeah. it has been successful at doing that. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. like we just blow it off the face of the earth because we're angry and don't understand, and then we just go on from there acting like everything's <laughs> always been cool. So much like much like me before therapy, <laughs> there's a lot of misdirected anger. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, we, well, there's can... been some um, data leak stuff. So there has been this gigantic data leak uh, breached after a place called Grubman Shire Mycelus and Sachs, which is a New York-based entertainment media law firm that was uh, hacked this week by some dark web forum. So they... Um, the breach has affected 756 gigs um, and it's after, let's see, a place called R-E-V-I-L Revil, which was some, I don't know, some online group or something like that. But they're demanding a bunch of money, and um, I believe this happened early last week, and now they are starting to release some some information that they've stolen. It's very kind of low-grade, not, not super crazy information, but just to show that, yes, we do have this, so we are going to keep uh, doing it. But the network, and I did see it, and it w- wouldn't surprise me that there is a, uh, um, it does involve Trump, too, only because I'm sure he has entertainment lawyers. I mean, he's been in entertainment for forever. So, But listen to this list of, um, uh, of people involved in this. So, uh, of course, it caught my eye because it's Lady Gaga and Madonna, um, part of Madonna's uh, Live Nation tour contract for her last uh, concert was was released as one of the first. See, we really do have um, what it is. But let's see. Uh, just me, just on the music side. Now, I'm going to I'm going to read a lot of names here. So this is going to go on for a while, but it just is really crazy. This is all from one firm. So. ACDC, Avicii, Barbara Streisand, Barry Manilow, Bette Midler, Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie, Drake, Elton John, Fiona Apple, uh, John Mellencamp, Lady Gaga, Lil Nas X, Lil Wayne, Lionel Richie, Lizzo, Madonna, Maroon 5, Nas, OK Go, Ricky Martin, Rod Stewart, Shania Twain, Sting, The Weeknd, Timbaland, Tony Bennett, U2, Usher, Whitney Houston. (sighs) Then we have others like Andrew Lloyd Webber, Barbara Walters, Clive Davis, David Geffen, David Letterman, Diane Sawyer. Uh, Jimmy Iovine, Kate Upton, Maria Shriver, Mariska Hartigay, Rod Stewart, Meg Ryan, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Nancy Grace, Naomi Campbell, Richard uh, Plepper, I don't know who that is, Robert De Niro, Sofia Vergara, Spike Lee, all of the Osbournes, and sports legends like Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, 
uh, LeBron James, Mike Tyson, Scotty Pippen, uh, Sean Avery, Sloan Stevens, and Victor Cruz, and companies like Facebook, Focus Features, HBO, and Sony. So this, so, so this is data, basically a big hard drive from a law firm that represents all these people. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, the information was breached. Yeah, it's a New York-based entertainment and media law firm. So um, hackers have claimed to nab everything from contracts to personal contact information to non-disclosure of agreements. Uh, the culprits have not yet re- not yet released the data, but to prove that the what they have was legitimate, they released part of, like I said, the Madonna's contract for her Madame X tour and some other things. So that was the, what they called a warning shot of what they've stolen. So they sent the pinky in the in the mail. Uh, yes, he said it's the equivalent like, to sending a pinky in the mail for a kidnapping victim. So that'll be uh, that's a lot of people involved in that. Huh. So hopefully I'll get out. to find out more about Madonna, though. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> never, never, meet, huh. never meet your idols. I know. Uh, I don't. I, I of course I do listen to a podcast that's all Madonna related and one of the hosts um So on the last Madonna tour, she does a little segment where she kind of goes. She did a little theater tour. It wasn't like a big uh, arena tour, but she kind of goes out into the audience and kind of chats with someone and tries one of their beers or whatever and kind of chit chats with them as as a as a segment of the show or whatever. And usually if it's a celebrity, it'll be that celebrity and they'll talk. But then every once in a while, there's like no celebrities. And so one of the hosts of this podcast uh got to be that person and was like she was such a bitch to me because <laughs> she was like you're not famous whatever blah 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 i'm tired of you right which i mean she she really is i i compare her a lot to hillary clinton where they're just such robots about their professions that they don't have a lot of time and energy and want to do all those things that make people like like People love Madonna for what she does, but like not a lot of people just like really like her because she's not super right. likable in right. that way. Absolutely. And but then and then like she kept she was late all the time in the last tour. And her statement was, um, the queen is never late. <laughs> and I'm like, what a horrible thing to say. But I mean, that's exactly what you want, like a yep. rock star to say. Exactly. I mean, that is rock star behavior. And if anybody has earned the right to act like we want a, a rock star to act, it's like, just go, you go. That's, that's great. Uh, totally. <laughs> and, um, um, I'm blanking on, uh, the original person's name, but, um, the Tom Cruise, um, the Tom Cruise, Thing that came out a couple weeks ago. Do you did you remember this? Oh, so no. um, who who's um, Katie Holmes? No, who oh. who the famous guy from this Park- is like this is more fun know, than fill in I the know. blank Google okay. <laughs> Google auto so, search from last Park, week. Parks and Recreation. Um, uh, the not my male or female male. Um, Chris the, Pratt, the old guy that is my age. The, Ron Swanson? No, no. That guy? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, for, <laughs> Everybody is yelling at because I never watched Parks and Rec. For <laughs> this. Uh, Rob Lowe. Okay so, uh, okay, so Rob Lowe was in the movie The Outsiders uh, at the age of 17 or 18, as was Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise literally had... Uh, 
not leading role parts before that. So he was in Taps as like fourth person in in the marquee and and something else that I don't remember. And uh, when they came to the set for The Outsiders, Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe were to share a room. And Tom Cruise freaked the heck out and went off and blah, 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 you know, just could not fathom that he would be sharing a room with anyone else uh, at all. And <laughs> Rob Lowe was, uh, in retrospect, was like, you know, that is the personality of a movie star. That is someone who, at the age of 18, before they had received stardom, knew exactly the trajectory he was on and owned it and knew yep. it and he understood it. He understood his position and he was already there before we knew he was there. That's and, so funny because that is, yep. yeah, that is exactly Madonna's story. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Like everyone says, yeah, she's kind of a cold hearted, business calculated person, but she knows exactly what she wants and wouldn't let anything stop her. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. And I, I am the opposite. <laughs> I have no idea what I want. Yeah. And even if I did, I am incapable of doing it. <laughs> uh, well, let's go down the street to Newburgh. Uh, Newburgh's drive-in movie theater could reopen next week amid a surge of interest. So the 99W drive-in has been flooded with calls uh, asking them to open early. Uh, last month, the New York Times published an article about the, quote, unexpected revival that drive-in movies uh, are kind of seeing. They interviewed Brian uh, or owner Brian Francis for the article who told the publication that during one week in late March, he received 30 messages from customers asking him to open early. Uh, nonetheless, drive-ins like 99W have struggled to convince Oregon officials that reopening would not po pose a public health risk. Uh, since March, the 99W has been working on a safety plan, limiting the number of cars, hourly restroom cleanings, doing away with intermissions uh, to satisfy state officials. So it could open uh, as early as Friday, May 22. So I like the idea. Have you ever been to a drive-in theater? Oh, yeah. We used to go as a child all the time. And okay. I have been to the 99W theater. It's it's fantastic. I think we saw... And I've only... I never went growing up. And I only went... I only went once since we've been here. I believe the, the Star Trek reboot I went to. And I had, like, almost a complete, like, mental and nervous breakdown for some reason that night. Um but the thing that drives me crazy, and just because where we're located in the world, it doesn't get dark in the summer until like 1030. And then they show two movies. And I was it was like I felt like a caged animal. And I literally like I had a meltdown that night. It was <laughs> it was very not pretty. And I retro retroactively again apologize to my ex-wife about that one. But yeah, I like the idea of it. But I wish they started earlier. They st Yeah. So. Uh, although I have been to multiple um, drive-in theaters, they're almost always uh, double features, and I have never made it through a single movie <laughs> ever. That's Inc very late for you. It's very, I think it's late. It's I mean, very late. Cow. And uh, the last time that we went uh, was maybe two or three years ago. Nick and I went down. We had dinner first, and uh, and then here. <laughs> You're comfortable in the car. I've got a little weed, and 
it was lights out. And so Nick yeah. got to watch uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and <laughs> something else. And I did not. Yeah, oh, that's funny. So, and then a lot of, I, I believe Oregon is kind of having a soft reopening uh, at this point where some businesses are allowed to kind of open their doors again. And we're seeing a little bit of that. So um, hopefully our numbers, which have been great, and I feel like Oregonians have really put in the effort to keep this thing at bay. And, and it looks like from, from the data that we're getting that has been very effective as far as for our state, especially since we're sandwiched in between two of the huge, uh, two of the huge states that are, that are uh, very problematic when it comes to this. So hopefully we won't all ruin that as we all rush back to, to stores. But I, 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 it just feels like the general vibe around here is like cautiously, getting back to it like i don't feel like it's yeah. a huge thing like we need to stay closed forever or we need to open right now i feel like we're kind of all in the same gradual reopening which is what i think it needs to be so yeah i totally agree anyway well speaking of other things opening up i know nascar uh announced this last week that they are going to have races again um i doubt anyone will be in the audience but they'll be broadcasting those i believe on espn um, but also Major League Baseball. So uh, players, there's a new 67-page report for Major League Baseball. So um, Major League Baseball players will be prohibited from taking showers after a game, and there'll be no fist bump celebrations or spitting sunflower seeds in the dugout. So the new restrictions, which have been approved by the Players Union, would also enforce social distancing, meaning no hugs or high fives after a home run, and a ban on chewing tobacco. So players would go through daily temperature screenings and have to sanitize their hands each half inning. Uh, MLB plans to perform thousands of tests on the players, coaches, management, and stadium personnel on a weekly basis, which I guess that means there's tests available. Is that a thing that's ever happened? Or is that just like a, we just say it and hopefully that's the case. So yes. Uh, Anyway, so they hope to, um, the league is hoping to begin after a shortened 2020 season um, by early July. So, cool. I, one I last one last thing. It's our water skiing squirrel story. A bear breaks into a cabin and steals peanut butter cups, M and M's, Sour Patch Kids, and beer. <laughs> So there's a, a nice little video that goes along with this. A bear can seem be seen breaking open a door and coming into the building. Um, first, the person there called the owner who didn't believe that there was a bear in the cabin. And then she called her friend's husband who laughed at them. <laughs> nice. The police chafed off not only the bear that came in, but three other bears that were just waiting on the porch. So the bears took five pounds of Reese's peanut butter cups, a pound of M&Ms, and two pounds of Sour Patch Kids, and also took two beers and two Diet Cokes and some <laughs> allergy medication. <laughs> so um, I erased the part of the story that told me where this was, but somewhere in the mountains, I'm assuming. Love that. So that. Yeah, there's a, there's an adorable little video of the bear walking in and grabbing snacks, <laughs> a couple of beers, and going and returning to his friends, just like teenagers Good. at a Seven Eleven asking the one older kid to buy them beer. Um, I'm gonna grab water really quick. Okay. <clears throat> the best part of this water break is that I'm gonna forget to edit this out. So thanks for hanging in there, everyone.
Did anyone else notice at the beginning? Everybody probably skips the opening, but I felt like the. I'll have to ask Mark when he gets back. It sounded like our theme song started really, really slow, and then eventually just kept getting faster and faster. And I don't know if I'm just having a fever dream or what. What? Can you? I was just. I was just vamping so I didn't have to cut anything out of the pot. Oh. <laughs> I'd have to edit this later. <laughs> no, when you played the uh, when our you played the theme at the beginning, did it start out slow and then get faster? It sounds like you ad were adjusting the playback speed so it started slow and it just kept going faster and faster. But maybe no. that's just my <laughs> insanity has your, set in. Your drugs kicking in. <laughs> yeah, no idea. I keep I keep looking outside because it's oddly but it's cloudy today but it's oddly sunny too so i'm hoping my neighbors who have like <clears throat> a proper style farm sized burn pile that always makes me jealous lit their lit their uh, pile on fire today and so i've been all jealous and so i'm hoping that it doesn't rain so after we're done with this i can go out and light my burn pile on fire and let out some energy that way well, I see a legit rainbow on the wall from there your, is. From your uh, from crystal in your window. So there's there's sun out there somewhere. I love that sun catcher. It's such a <laughs> dumb little thing, but it's just so magical. Yes. All those colors are just in light. <laughs> How does that work? How does it know? How does it know? All right, Mark. So everyone <clears throat> else already knows what are, we're going to be talking about today, and I still have no idea. So what are we going to be talking about today? Um, so I, I started kind of down one thread and, um, and it opened up to a lot more threads. So we're going to be talking about underwater construction, uh, build, building things underwater is, uh, a big challenge and we'll talk about some of the approaches. And I, I kind of started under the, uh, was going to go dive deep into the building of the English channel and, when I was uh, at, not building of the English Channel, the tunnel that goes underneath the English <laughs> Channel, uh, which they call a channel, right? <laughs> channel, exactly. A uh, channel always reminds <laughs> me of the movie Chud, which is uh, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, and so I always think of the channel as being like a a B horror movie of some sort. I have to remind myself it's a real thing. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah, most mostly what we're going to be talking about are tunnels and uh like the bart tunnel underneath uh san francisco bay the tunnel under um the english channel but uh, a lot of this has to do with uh bridges and the construction of bridges over rivers how do you build the parts that go underwater underwater and uh i've i've known about uh some parts of it but i i've just never gone kind of deep into it so nice underwater construction um you would think when you when you first start that conversation that divers are a big part of part of the process and divers are uh expensive diving is dangerous and the tools and materials that are available for underwater use for construction and are able to be used by divers is shockingly small and so Divers are very rarely used in uh, the construction of underwater uh, things like that, like bridges and, and such. Huh. So how do they do it? So there's, there's 
extensive use of what are called cofferdams. And so cofferdams allow you to dry out one area so that you, uh, you basically build a retaining wall uh, around the construction site. And then now you can do construction on that dry land and then replace the water after you're done construction. And so one way of doing cofferdams is literally to pile up land. Uh, like if you're building a, a dam, you would build a cofferdam uh, by putting a berm before the dam and a dam construction site and one after. And this is similar to what they did in the, uh, what my family refers to as the Boulder Dam, which is also known as the Hoover Dam. Uh, my great, uh, my grandparents were not fans of Hoover and only referred to it as the Boulder Dam. Oh, really? Did they blame, yeah. did they, did they take out their Hoover flags, which is turning your pockets inside out to show that you have no money? Hoover bills. <laughs> Hoover flags, Hoover bills. Uh, but my, my great grandparents. Hoover. Hoover. Uh, oh, I don't have the I button. I don't have the button either. Um, <laughs> I barely knew her. Um, and so the um, the Hoover Dam in uh, was built in the 1930s. They literally built a retaining wall and another retaining wall upstream and downstream, and uh, had carved tunnels into the rock from upstream going around the dam site uh, down to below the lower coffer dam uh, block. Do they put the one? Do they put the second coffer dam, the downstream one, so the water doesn't backflow? Backfill. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so uh, those tunnels then became the spillways that are currently employed if the water goes up too high then the water spills over into the spillways and goes down the tunnels to uh, below the area of the tunnel I actually got to see the spillway in use as a kid with my grandfather in 1983 which was the last time that they were in use uh, there wow. was just too much water and used it in the whole thing uh, so cofferdams in that mode are also pretty dangerous because you have to have a lot of soil. The soil is not compacted. It's not cement. So it has the ability to erode and uh, poses a danger to those people in the construction zone. And you have to pump out water continuously because much of that soil a lot isn't, you know, it, it's not perfectly... Um, non-porous and so water seeps through uh, slowly and so you have to have pumps in place and that water seeping slowly through will erode and start to build up little channels and be pretty dangerous to the construction site and so not a great uh, situation but functional. The next level of cofferdam are <clears throat> are these steel Let me uh, turn on some uh, I'll share a little image with you so that you can see some pictures of things. Hey, there we go. There we go. And so <clears throat> these steel cofferdams um, are, they're called sheet piles. And we see them in construction zones. They basically create a steel wall around a area that is going to be dry. And um, sometimes they use pilings to, you know, you'll, you'll drive a big 
spike into the ground and then use these uh, sheets of uh, these sheet piles to uh, uh, block off an area of water so that that area stays dry. If you have really unsettled soil down below or it's on a rocky area, what they'll do is create a wall using these sheet piles. So they'll have one pile, then an, uh, another sheet, and then put soil between the two. So you're kind of using that original cofferdam concept, but using steel reinforcements to make an, a wall that holds back the water from the dry area. Okay. Makes sense? Cool. Um, and, and those little sections are called cellular cofferdams because they're little cells of... Uh, okay. Yeah, of they're walls. little like rectangle... It looks like where you would build a house, like a little it, rectangle plot of land with steel walls around <laughs> it that you can then build ones next to it, I'm assuming, and then expand them out. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then uh, <laughs> other cofferdam styles, they've got them made out of bags of water, like massive bags of water they can use as basically a wall to keep back other waters. Um, and cofferdams are almost always temporary uh they're they're meant to be uh, part of the construction and then once the final piece is in place then uh the cofferdam goes away caissons so caissons are, are kind of the other big method uh that have been used for over 150 years this uh this picture i've got here is a cement caisson or a block and they literally are a, a big box made out of cement. They're constructed on land, and then they transport them into the water. And I watched a video of this, and it's really fantastic. Uh, it was a video made in China uh, of them placing these uh, their massive, massive, massive cubes made out of cement, uh, and they're like, 150 feet tall and weigh 126,000 tons. And, and so they, they move them by placing huge balloons uh, of air underneath them and rolling them across these balloons of air that oh they can gosh. control the balloon air pressure so that they can uh, move up one side and, and tilt it and make it roll basically down and they, they move it along the dock onto a floating dry dock. And a floating dry dock is basically a big barge that's able to sink on command. <laughs> uh, and so uh, they move this big block onto the dry dock. Then they move the tug into, uh, they take a tugboat and move that whole dry dock into the water. Then they they lower the dry dock so that this big block of cement is floating in the middle of the ocean or the lake. And then they take a tugboat and move that to the right position. And then they flood it with water and it goes down to the place that they're looking to place it. And so if they need to do two of those on top, they, they can. And then once it's in place on the floor of the ocean, they fill it with dirt and it's in place. And, and they can also use cement to seal the bottom. There's a bunch of different techniques for um, 
getting it to stabilize across the bottom so there's like teeth in the bottom of these caissons and um and <clears throat> but those can be used for walls or the base of bridges the pylons for bridges and uh they're really effective because you don't have to have a diver in the water you don't you know you can do it all using dry construction materials that are already preset and then uh you put the pylon you, know, you put the caisson in the in the water fill it with cement that cures and and everything's great so those are are very commonly used um historically they have had challenges so the the building of the brooklyn bridge used oh, caissons yeah and so uh in the 18 1870 uh was when the brooklyn bridge uh construction started but uh there was a a guy named john augustus uh, raiblin and raiblin was a immigrant from germany charged with uh building of he was an engineer and charged with building of the brooklyn bridge he got the project started on the project uh doing all the surveying while he was doing the surveying, his foot got crushed by a ferry, um, a ferry boat uh, on the dock. He uh, refused tr some treatment. He got, a, he got a couple toes amputated, then he refused further treatment and used water treatment, which meant <laughs> to continuously flow water over the wound. He got tetanus and died. Uh, and this was before construction started. So the job of building the bridge went to his son, uh, Washington Reblin, and uh, he started the construction project. Uh, they had been training together for years, and, and he was a, a, a brilliant guy in, in his own right, but all the plans had already been created, and now he was executing on the, on the job. Well, part of the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge is they basically took these caissons, they took a upside down wooden box that's massive and they pushed that down to the bottom of the river of the east river where the brooklyn bridge is and they had a tube that would come up where you could go into and out of so oh, workers wow. could go into that box that was sealed onto the floor of the east river good in order creep. can you imagine it gets worse so <laughs> <laughs> there's um you don't want water coming into that uh, caisson, and so they pressurize it with high-pressure air. So imagine keeping a, a massive glass uh, turned upside down at the bottom of an aquarium, right? So that's that's kind of kind of the deal. High-pressure air. So these workers, affectionately called sand hogs were sent down to dig out the sand from the bottom of the East River and take that silt and send it up. But they had a massive amount of um, gases dissolved in their bloodstream because of these pressures induced by high pressure stuff. So these workers were getting the bends. Uh, every time they'd come up, <laughs> they would, uh, the gases in their bloodstream would boil and so uh, they lost a lot of people in that process including washington reblin uh the oh. the engineer 
Uh, so he didn't die, but he was seriously incapacitated and bedridden for the rest of the project. So who took over but his wife, Emily Warren Raebling. And uh, she turns out to be the management of the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge. She was the sole person allowed to meet with Washington, his, her wife, her husband. And so she would do inspections. She would manage the, the job site and, and do all of the stuff and then bring back a report at the end of the day back to her husband, Washington, who was in bed with the Benz, uh, <laughs> hating, hating his life. Well, I'm and, trying to remember because uh, one of my favorite documentaries of all time is the one about New York City. It's like 14 yeah. hours long or whatever. And of course, there's a huge section on the Brooklyn Bridge. And I'm trying to remember if it was the... Uh, John Roblings, who is the original uh, uh, architect or whatever who died, if it was his wife or if it was this Emily that I believe where they lived just looked at it was like right on the shore where they were looking at the bridge. So they were able to even though he had the bends or whatever, he was able to still look at the bridge and like talk about it just from their bed and stuff like that. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> like uh OSHA, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> things that we think about today of, oh, my job sucks. You know, uh, can you imagine in the middle of the 1800s, you know, this is during the Civil War, uh, you know, there's there's crazy things going on. And and this is your life getting the bends by building a bridge so that you don't have to have a ferry. Your, your eight year old child has River. to go has to go to the coal mine and you have to go get the bends in the East River. And your wife is trapped in the triangle shirtwaist factory that catches on fire because they've welded all the doors shut. Yeah. So the past uh, sucks, man. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that, that's a lot of the, the Brooklyn Bridge. So in the, in the, starting in the 50s, there was a design for the tunnel underneath the uh, San Francisco Bay for Bay Area Rapid Transit, or the BART system. And uh, those, uh, those tunnels opened up in 1973 for operation, but they were mostly built in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, uh, incidentally, I was living in San Francisco as a uh, two-year-old when all of that, that opened. And I was one of the first writers. When they first opened it up for the first month, uh, it was free. And so my, uh, we lived in downtown uh, San Francisco, and uh, I was one of the first uh, writers aboard the BART back in the day. That's so cool. So... Um, the idea of having a tunnel under the um, San Francisco Bay actually predates both of the bridges, uh, the, the major bridges that are across San Francisco Bay, the Oakland Bay Bridge and the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. So there was a um, uh, George Washington uh, Goebbels was the guy. unfortunate last name. <laughs> Goebbels, exactly. He was. He ended every introduction with no relation. 
<laughs> this was in the uh he died in 1928 so oh, okay he, good. Unfortunately, he didn't have to go through that he yeah the other guy said hey, no relation uh, <laughs> i'm just a doctor of death i'm not a guy who built the <laughs> underground built the <laughs> so so he, uh goebbels was uh in charge of the panama canal and in 1920 he released his plan for a tunnel underneath san francisco bay and doing a little research on Goebbels, uh, he is the great great grandfather of Angela uh, uh, Gothel. Uh, I pronounced his name wrong. It's it's not Goebbels, and that's why it's uh, terrible. Oh. It's Gothel Gothels <laughs> in German. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> so Angela Gothels was uh, the little girl in Jerry Maguire and the sister to uh, Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Oh, weird. uh, And so she is the great-great-granddaughter of the guy who built the Panama Canal. Wow. And I I just like, what a random uh, little little connection. So anyway, so the BART Tunnel runs three and a half, uh, just over three and a half, uh, 3.6 miles underneath the San Francisco Bay. It goes as deep as 135 feet underwater, which is the deepest underwater vehicle tube in the world in operation. Wow. Um, It originally started in 59. Uh, The project started in 59, and and for six years, they were just measuring things. So they were measuring (laughs) seismic activity and uh, materials underneath the bay and, and getting all their ducks in a row for six years before the first thing was dug in in into the ground measure twice cut once exactly so the primary construction of the uh of the bart tunnel or the uh, san francisco bay tunnel is uh it's got two major tubes with a common tube in between and that common tube in between is is mostly filled with cement but the big two tube sections are built in steel and were ferried out and then lowered down and then uh, bolted in place, then pumped out. And so, uh, again, they didn't have to do any cofferdams or, you know, because of the depth of the water, you couldn't easily do a cofferdam to restrict, you know, and it's an active bay with ship traffic and, and the whole thing. And so it, it made it impossible to do it any other way. But they lowered these sections, sealed them up, and it's one of the you know uh, wonders of the world ultimately of of engineering. I've been on it hundreds of times. It seems like uh, I know I've I written lived, the bar, but now I can't remember if I did the un- that underwater section or not. Yeah, I used to live in Vallejo uh, and <clears throat> in a little town called Pittsburgh, and. Um, we would take the BART into the city. Uh, and when I was in the Navy, I was in Vallejo. We'd take the BART into the city pretty frequently. And, and you'd always go into the tunnel. Your ears would always pop. But uh, so mostly, crazy. Yeah, it, it's really insane uh, to think about. But it's uh, really fast. You know, it's three and a half miles. And so uh, it's it's just a couple minutes underneath the uh, the Bay Bridge as, as you're doing that. Um, one other technology that's used a lot are called drilled shafts and so we see um you've probably seen some of this happen uh before and this is used in in mostly bridges 
We also see this used in big uh, signs uh, over, like overpass signs, and um, you know anything that requires a really firm foundation. Uh, but it also can be done underwater, and they take a big cylinder tube, and they've got. Um, I, I couldn't find some good pictures of the of the base, but they call it an oscillator with these these cylinder, the drilled shaft cylinders, and some of them had a cap on the bottom with some teeth on it. The others had an arm that went down that had teeth on it, uh, but the cylinder would be pushed into the earth, and then an oscillator would shimmy it, uh, rotate it back and forth so that it would go deeper into the ground and then they would dig out the earth that's in the middle of that and then repeat. And so they've got an arm that goes down in the middle, uh, scoops up uh, the earth that's been pulled out and then they oscillate it, rotate it and take it down further. Depending on what the material is that, you know, if it's uh, earth or clay or rock depends on what happens uh, at the bottom if it's got teeth on it or it's just a kind of a sharp edge or or whatever but uh, I couldn't find a whole lot of information about that that wasn't literally by uh, a construction company talking to like it, some of the most dry materials I've ever seen uh, were were research for this like um <laughs> How, how to be an inspector for uh, steel cylinder drilled shafts and uh, and going through all of the procedures for how to check uh, the, the right uh, dimension. So they, they get that cylinder all the way down. Then they um, take a lattice of uh, rebar and uh, like a, a cylinder lattice of, of rebar and send that down the tube and then fill that with concrete. And uh, now you have a super strong pylon that's deep, yeah, piling that is deep into the uh, base. And it doesn't so do you know which do you know which one the Golden Gate Bridge is? Like how deep is that water? That's that's great. I don't I didn't look up any information about the Golden Gate Bridge, but I would um, assume it's I mean, I would assume it's I don't know what I would assume yeah. it is because I guess I don't know how deep the water is and when it was built. Um, well, all my knowledge of bridge yeah. building stops with the fact that the Brooklyn Bridge guy had an apartment that looked at the building. Uh, so the maximum depth is 377 feet. Wow. Um, but uh, below. So the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, Golden Gate Bridge. Here we go. And um, looking for some, yeah. So, if oh well, you, they only have yeah. I guess they only would have they. There's boy. Now I'm looking two, at the the picture of it, and they don't have one that really goes deep into the water. It's mostly yeah on land uh, on each side. They they one really are. Yeah, uh, one goes slightly underwater and one isn't underwater i i didn't really realize that wow yeah the whole span is just over the water then yeah 
Huh. Yeah, interesting. Fantastic. Well, that answers that question. <laughs> well, and I know on the Golden Gate, like on each end is where they, you know, tie off the suspension part. So it's all bolted and all that concrete. And yeah. that's, yeah, I guess that is what's holding the bridge up then is each side's the, yeah. the concrete on each side then. Yeah. Huh. Um, <clears throat> and so a lot of this research, um, there's not a lot of like, I thought there was more pouring of uh cement that cures underwater uh and there's some of that in especially in the caissons uh case but a lot of it isn't uh done that way and so it's like the bart tube uh is just steel sections that are bolted together uh and and ultimately welded together uh there's some flexibility between each section so that uh the bart tube is not doesn't transfer traverse a uh fault line uh oh, but yeah. but it is built to withstand almost a nine on the richter scale so it's it's really sturdy uh but a lot of this just really had to do with water management and they call it um uh either dewatering or care of water and oh, it's funny. how how to get uh, how to dewater the construction site so that you are effectively working on dry land for that one little part of, right. of the thing. Yeah. And I do remember watching, this was a long time ago, so I remember almost nothing about it, but something about the the English Channel, the one under the English Channel, the <clears throat> Chud. Um, yep. But that was a Channel. lot of, I Channel. mean, it talked about the construction of it, but it also talked about, because that one's really long, I think. And that, yeah. like, fire management, like, if you have a fire in the tunnel, like, all of those things yeah, so going into the the English Channel, uh, the the channel, uh, not the chud, uh, like not you the said. Chud, um, sorry. <laughs> so the channel uh, actually ba- uh, bores into the rock underneath the water. And so they were concerned about flooding, and they had to deal with that on the f- French side. Uh, on the English side of things. So uh, in the building of the channel, they had two entirely different teams. One was the British team and one was the French team. The French team had almost no experience building tunnels. And uh, and, <laughs> Sacre still, <bleu. laughs> and uh, the British team had extensive uh, experience. And so a lot of the British work um, was done uh, in kind of a flooded, uh, all the ma- machinery had to be waterproof and they had to deal with the uh, removal of water as they built it because there were basically cracks in the stone that they were boring through that brought in water from the English Channel above. And so the machine that they were drilling with would take, uh, you know, it would cut into the stone, they would remove that rock, and then they would take sections of cement, uh, you know, the cement material, and push it out into the the tunnel uh, in all 360 degrees and create a wall. So as this whole train of this 
cutting material cutting machine would make it through by the time the end of the train was there you'd have a completed tunnel including reinforced sides and and all of that and it's you know enough for three cars wide um the tunnel also does not allow vehicle traffic there's only trains uh that go underneath so um the there's like freight trains and then also a passenger uh train that also takes cars on as a car train ferry service i didn't know there's a freight train um, that's weird to think of a freight train going underneath the english channel right (laughs) yeah yeah, you got to get. But yeah, they had to figure out like how to exhaust, uh, you know, safely exhaust and refresh the air in there, and all that stuff was yeah, all those challenges to yeah. do underground. Yeah, it it's incredible and an incredible feat of of um, technology and and engineering. Um, was was really fantastic. Yeah. Wow, that's so. I mean, and it's. It always freaks me out. I mean, it, it, here in Portland, and both when you talk about the the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and all those bridges that are like, they're hundreds of years old at this point. Which is, yeah. I mean, even the Burnside Bridge, which is like nineteen oh five or eighteen twelve or whenever that thing went up. <laughs> it's so crazy that through there isn't like some new miraculous way to like take the water out and put the piling in or whatever. It's just still like manually, like it says, moving water around and dewatering things. Yeah. Our, our oldest bridge is the steel bridge. And I think it's 1908, uh, if I'm not, not mistaken, but that's so uh, crazy. This And the steel bridge is a one of a kind bridge. There hasn't been another one built like it, which means uh, it didn't work out well. <laughs> and it wasn't, a pattern uh, to to be emulated, but uh, it's that's the really ol- freaky to think about. It's the only dual uh, lifting bridge where each uh, uh, each section that lifts can be lifted independently. So there's the bottom section is for bicycles and trains, and then the upper section is for uh, max traffic and uh, vehicle traffic on on the second span. And uh, each of those can be lifted independently. And uh, that's really cool. That's the only one like that in the world. Huh. That's yeah, that's so maybe it's just so great that the engineer retired. He's like, and I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) It was like his triumphant last. Exactly. (laughs) He's spiking the ball. That's yeah, that's all that this that since I don't know anything about engineering and I'm not smart enough to. It always is. There's all those shows like Big Building or Fantastic Engineering or all those things that used to be on the Discovery Channel. And it's so interesting to see these large scale projects of the things we all used to just build in our sandboxes and have to think of the scale of, of real life and how to do it there. That's uh, that's so cool. <laughs> totally. Let's hear it for the cofferdam. Yay, Cofferdam. <laughs> um, I'm trying. Oh, there it is. I'm trying to ah, stop, sharing. stop sharing. Interesting, interesting. Well, thank you for doing that. Uh, that was great. I loved it. It's always my favorite part of the week to get surprised by Sunday <laughs> afternoon learning from the Mark and Toddcast. 
I get to be from, from a listener for a while. And you, you can put your dinosaur head back on, yes. <laughs> it's very warm, so I try not to. Nice. I did find uh, fall into kind of a new YouTube channel rabbit hole last night. It was um, it's this artist who does a couple different things on his channel. One of them is he'll compare like a one dollar pencil versus a fifty dollar you know pro pencil, and he'll draw the same things. And, oh. He'll do it with markers, like cheap markers versus like the art markers. But then he'll also do, um, he'll take like a children's coloring. A lot of it is either superhero or like um, anime type stuff. But he'll take like a Spider-Man coloring book for kids or whatever. And then he'll like make the picture super detailed and like add background. So it's like all amazing. And it's just so soothing because it's a lot of, I mean, just watching someone color, basically, but like a professional colorist, just like putting in these beautiful colors and and stippling and different shading and blending. And so I've fallen down that rabbit hole, which has been very soothing. So that's awesome. Ah, anything exciting happening to you this this coming week? No, this coming week uh, uh, we're launching into the new project, and uh, and so I'm just writing a lot of code. Uh, we've got a new client at work, and uh, it's going well. Uh, a knock on wood, and so uh, doing that, and um, I'm trying to limit my time on the Nintendo Switch uh, to, you know, I, I've now started uh, Zelda: The Breath of the Wild, or whatever it's called. And uh, it's a pretty great game. Yeah. Um, I did see just a follow up on uh, the Unipiper. So uh, for his birthday, got him a um, hologram kit. Yes, and yes. And we talked about holograms. And I've seen the holograms now. And what's interesting is after he made the hologram, he tried to look at it and couldn't see it and just said, uh, well, I've made it wrong. And um, when we were talking about it over the phone and, and all this stuff, and I literally said something on the podcast that I kind of didn't believe at the time, <laughs> which turned out to be the key to the whole thing. So, so the Mylar holograms, like the cover of the Nat Geo um, cover and stuff, clearly you can see it in daylight right traditional holograms that we were talking about i said that you can only see it with laser light and the reason is you've got a reference beam and a object beam the the beam that bounces off of the object and both of those beams merge onto the film and it's the difference of those two that creates the illusion of a hologram on the on the film material and in order to see it you have to re-shine through the reference beam to cancel the reference beam out to only be left with the product beam so what do you beam. what do you see before you turn that reference beam on is it just black or nothing it looks like nothing's there well it's it's a translucent piece of glass with a shiny iridescent film on it and so you're and so you see some little uh squiggly things and and uh it just 
it just looks like a bad hologram that isn't a hologram. <laughs> it just looks like, oh, I messed this one up. Okay. And then you shine the red laser beam behind it, and in 3D behind the glass shows up a little squid that was his object that he did it. And you can look around it, and you can it looks like it's literally two inches behind the glass. Uh, it's not the same kind of effect that you have on uh, like on the cover of Nat Geo. You don't feel like the natural geographic is six inches deep right. and you're looking inside of it. You you see, you know, to some extent, you know what I mean? That's so weird. And it, and, they turned out great and so he's learned learned a bunch about how to get the object to not cover the lens and the, all the little nuanced things and and they turned out really really great and that's cool uh, yeah i'll have to take, have him take some more video of it to show us yeah. that's neat how fun yeah yeah totally great all right. Well, cool. find out more about the Unipiper at theunipiper.com. He has been slammed with doing personal birthday greetings. Uh, so that's what he's doing. And he's been having to tell people, I will be 30 feet in the background for you. You know, I'll take a picture way over there. But like he says that depending on where he's going, there'll be like a giant group of people with a birthday party. And he's like, oh, uh, right no. around far away and go home. So exactly. don't touch the Unipiper if he comes near you. <laughs> Keep your hands off. <laughs> um but yeah check him out um there's also i don't know what his website is i should have looked it up uh first but mike bennett who is a friend of brian's and who i want to have on the show uh one of these days but is yep. a, a cartoonist and he makes just these joyful wooden cutout cartoons um he's been doing a series of animals a to z animals uh and every day put out a different animal starting with a different letter and just the most adorable little cartoons um so that's been fun to watch him do and watch watch the popularity of that explode. He did a little music video as, and uh as I look over your left shoulder, I see Oh yeah, yeah. Pinky, Pinky or Blinky, one of the one of those three. It's not Clyde. Uh and that is one of Mike Bennett's uh pieces of art. It is that I see behind you. And um uh, he has also introduced an agave plant uh as a illustrated piece because of the the debacle with the agave plant in southeast portland yes did we, have, uh, did we talk about that on our show or not probably probably not but there's an agave plant that's <laughs> bloomed once once in a lifetime bloom and it's just been trounced by people surrounding it in groups and uh and k12 or whatever uh, yeah channel 12 did a news piece on it and posted the address on their website and just flooded the area with traffic and people and walking and just hordes of, of people wanting to see this thing and the the family is like please stop <laughs> we live here <laughs> we live here and we don't want to die here uh and uh and so mike bennett also has um an art installation in his front yard uh he's encouraging uh lots of social distancing don't gather there in crowds but he also has a cartoon agave plant of full size in his yard uh he um he's going to be doing some he's been commissioned by tiktok to do some videos for tiktok and oh and wow nice if uh so he's, he's trying to gain some really great popularity 
And um, yeah, he's on Instagram, uh, and you can go at Mike Bennett Art, and Bennett is B E N N E T T. So Mike Bennett Art, and you can see his stuff, and it's just, it's just so delightful. And he's he's younger than I am. I believe he was a younger, either millennial or Gen Z. But so a lot of this stuff is like from cartoons that I didn't grow up with, so I have no like personal connection to. But they're just his art style is just so happy and whimsical and pure and just it's so so wonderful and he's a delightful guy i really like mike yeah i'm excited to spend some more time with him once this is all over and have him on the show and and talk to him some more so he's agreed to come on the mark and talk guest i just we just haven't pulled the trigger on that yet yeah 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 i'd like to do that in in person i think that would be fun i'd like to go visit his his little garage studio would be cool too. So, well, we'll wrap things up here. I could just keep going on and on forever. Um, but thank you to everyone for listening. Go visit, uh, fun employment radio. Again, they're doing shows all five days a week and they're doing hangout Google hangouts on, uh, Friday nights. Uh, I was able to join Mark party at Mark's for about three and a half minutes on Friday (laughs) while I quick snuck outside while I was at work. So I got to see you and Heidi. And, um, so that was fun. So, um, what else? Is that all? What can we play? What can I stick at the end of this show? Is there a song about bridges? <laughs> we, um, on uh, You could. Uh, but this year, uh, so on Facebook, I saw a friend who had an album, and the album I hadn't seen in almost 20 years, and it's by a band called Twin Sister. And uh, Twin I Sister stole, is a, that's from That was Brock Ditus, or Ditus, as he, he wrongly pronounces his own name, because I want it to be <laughs> Ditus. But that's, did I show you when I posted a picture of myself? I had this crazy, uh, what they call a horseshoe mustache, a trucker mustache. <laughs> Facebook tagged me as, are you Brock Ditus? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you you are looking a, a yeah. well, Brock, he's got Brock-ish. Yeah, he's skinny and got dark hair and has that mustache and black glasses. So yeah. we are kind of twins. So it turns out that he and I have a lot of the same history in uh, contemporary Christian music in the 90s in Portland, Oregon. And one of those bands is Twin Sister. And uh, it's a Star Wars uh, cover band. And... Um, one of their uh, songs is called Scoundrel. And so we were chatting about Scoundrel. If you can, um, uh, so your your task is to find Scoundrel and uh, play a clip from uh, <laughs> from Scoundrel by from Twin Sisters. Sounds good. Uh, well, then you people listening to that will hear that in mere seconds. So thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. I think next week is Portland at the movies. Is that right? Maybe? Oh, I don't know. Well, we'll see you next week either way. So thanks, everyone. Sweet. Thank you. You love-